Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm your co-host Jackie Spinell. And I'm Hannah Meira Plotkin. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to this week's episode, everyone. We're so excited to have you. Woo! Last week's episode with Audrey Slater, we got a ton of positive feedback on. It was really great to talk diversity and inclusion, and we really wanted to just dive right into politics one more time right before the upcoming election. So I'm going to let Jackie introduce our guest as we're just going to skip over this breaker question for today. Yeah, so unfortunately, like Hannah just said, we won't have an icebreaker question this episode as we usually don't when we have a lengthier interview just for the purpose of time. So, okay, so this week's episode, we have my uncle David, who is my mom's older brother. And he, I'm just going to, he's a, an immigration lawyer and I'm going to read his bio, a couple sentences from his bio. He's super interesting and he's very, he has a big following on Twitter and very vocal about his uh, political views where he is very um, strong um, pro-Biden. And you'll kind of hear him talk about being a member of the Obama found uh, Obama administration and also on the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. So from his bio, David is the past president and past general counsel of the Washington DC based American Immigration Lawyers Association, AILA, the premier bar association of immigration lawyers and professors in the US, a nationally recognized immigration reform advocate, writer, and public speaker. David has testified as an immigration law expert before the US Congress and frequently writes for MSNBC, CNN, TPM, USA Today, The Hill, and Huffington Post. So I'm super excited for this interview and it's super interesting. So enjoy everybody. My name is David Leopold. I'm an attorney. I practice out of Cleveland, Ohio. And um, I focus my practice on immigration law, which means that um, I represent a lot of people, a lot of companies, and all different, you know, situations that involve immigration law, whether they're trying to get visa to the United States, whether they're coming to the United States, or whether they're facing deportation, or, or being locked up um, because of their immigration status. How did you, how did you get into this field? So it's really a difficult question. I think the reason I think I ultimately was attracted to it uh, because I didn't start off as an immigration lawyer, I started off as a, an attorney in a, in a law firm doing mainly trial work um, and got involved in some uh, uh, pro bono or um, community projects which involved immigration. So that's kind of how I got involved in it. But I think what kindled the interest was probably my father's experience. And um, you know, Jackie, as you know, um, I, my father, your opa, is a Holocaust survivor and fled the Nazis when he was a kid. And uh, our entire family has been split forever because of it. We have family in Israel and family here, and that's a direct result of, of uh, persecution. And so I think that's kind of what led me you know, into the area, I think. Not consciously, but I think that's kind of how I got there. That's interesting that you have like a personal connection to the topic too, that 
it kind of makes you, I guess, more connected in a way. That's really interesting. Um, maybe, yeah. I mean, my father did some immigration law, um, but I think maybe that's the reason. If I had to put something, if I had to give it some sort of a sort of a deep-seated psychological origin to it, that's probably it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about um, kind of your experience being an immigration lawyer, kind of the people you maybe represent or, yeah. Sure. So I started off years ago going on a, uh, like I said, a sort of a pro bono project. It was actually through the Jewish Community Federation of Cleveland. Yeah. And um, went over to Italy. This is a long time ago. I went over to Italy to represent Soviet Jews that were being, um, they had fled the Soviet Union and were, were trying to get to the United States. And so that was my first experience with it. And one thing led to another and, and people were coming to me. I really didn't know anything about immigration. So I kind of looked it up. And um, over the years, I took some time off from the law. I worked in Washington. And then over the years, um, I developed a practice here in Cleveland. Uh, first, I had a partner for a while and then went off on my own for many years. And then most recently, um, I became a partner in a larger law firm here in town uh, where I run the immigration section of the firm. And uh, we have offices here in Cleveland and Cincinnati, Chicago, New York, Washington. So uh, that's kind of what I do. And so we represent, at this point, we represent a lot of physicians, a lot of scientists, artists, um, people from all different kinds of you know, professions who are coming here or here and want to stay here. We also represent some people who've been convicted of pretty, some pretty serious crimes. Um, you know, and uh, who are uh, facing removal, uh, and people who also are just being terrorized by this administration. Wow, that's so interesting that kind of one thing led to another, and I guess, I, w I don't know if I'd call it like a snowball effect, but it seems like, um, like you're impacted by a lot of things to, 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 to um, get into this role. Um, Jackie told me a little bit about um, how you were able to work so closely under um, the Clinton and the Obama administration. So will you kind of tell us about that and how that came to be? Well, yeah, first of all, it wasn't the Clinton administration because she lost the election, but I, I did work very closely on that campaign uh, four years ago. So uh, Obama, what happened with the Obama administration was um, I was just working in the area in immigration and I had been the president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association in Washington. So I had done a lot of work in Washington. And you know, one thing led, like you say, one thing led to another. So I began to work with the White House pretty closely on uh, immigration messaging, uh, particularly uh, DACA, you know, DACA is. And um, that was at the time when DACA had just been put into place. And um, so we work pretty closely with them. And what that means is um, in terms of um, how the policy will work outside of Washington and, and throughout the country, um, how different people are being affected, messaging uh, on the policy, writing a lot of, I wrote a lot of op-eds and a lot of blogs during that period of time, uh, not just about DACA, but about immigration policy in general. And, um, you know, so you've developed a working, I developed a working relationship 
with, with that White House, and in particular was the Domestic Policy Council and the Office of Public Engagement. And um, that's kind of how I work there. And, you know, get, working in the area, you know, I got to know a lot of different people. So when, when Senator Clinton, when Secretary Clinton was running for the presidency, throughout the primaries, I advised them on immigration policy. And, um, uh, throughout the summer and uh, into the into the election, uh, so uh, that's that's kind of how that happened, and, and just got to know work with a lot of people, and really in, you know enjoyed that work. That's I think that's so cool. I always think that's so cool how how you you know got to go to the White House Christmas parties and stuff like that. I think that's so awesome, and work so close to um, the president, and with that uh, with the Clinton campaign back in 2016. So just sort of to clarify, what are your, what are your views on immigration? Because I know there's the idea of open borders and, mm -hmm. and um, visas. And I think, I don't know, well, I know, but also if you could clarify kind of how your views align with the Trump administrations, because I know that they have maybe a different, maybe view on immigration and who should be let into the country than maybe you do. Sure. Um, well, first of all, let me say that uh, with respect to the White House parties, I don't think anybody enjoyed those parties more than your mother. <laughs> she loves it. She loves. She <laughs> talks about it constantly. Yeah. Um, we had fun. That was uh, I think it was the first one I went to. I took her to. That was about twenty. Oh my gosh! I think it was right after Obama was reelected. So it was the fall of uh, the winter of twenty. The, the Christmas of twenty uh, twenty twelve. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, the best coffee I've ever had in my life I've had at the White House. Really good coffee. I know it's, a, it's kind of a random thing to say, but it was really good. And they have really good, really good um, lamb chops. Anyway, oh, wow. I digress. Um, so the Trump administration, I mean, and how, and my immigration. Look, um, this administration is not really a political administration. It is just an embodiment of evil. I'm just going to be very frank about it. I mean, I, I can't, I'm hesitant to even talk about this administration uh, in the sense of any kind of political perspective, because it's kind of like talking about, you know, it, 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 this administration does not, does not operate, the Trump administration does not operate in any field, whether it's immigration, whether it's um, whether it's social justice, whether it's women's rights, you know, whether it's L LGBTQ, this administration operates on one premise alone, and that's uh, Trump's uh, power and Trump's, um, you know, desperation to get reelected. Uh, and when it comes to immigration, this administration is the most anti-immigrant, extremist, hateful administration in the history of the United States. And we have had some pretty bad people in the White House. There's no question about it. We've had some wonderful people in the White House, but we've also had some bad people, some racists like Woodrow Wilson. Nobody comes close to the evil that this president um, exudes, uh, the bile that comes out of his mouth on a daily basis. And when it comes to immigrants, I think he tells the story, you know, very, um, you know, he, he sums up his own policies the first day that he ran for office when he said that Mexicans were rapists and murderers and thugs 
and that we shouldn't let them in the country and that we should build a wall. That's his whole policy. Let's build a wall and let's keep out people who are brown and people who are black um, and ev actually everybody else as well. And I, I don't mean to go on and on because I know you want to ask questions, but that's the premise upon which I see the Trump administration. And when he went into power back in 2016, I, I knew things were going to be bad. I knew that he was going to, I knew that he was going to end DACA, right? And I knew that he was going to deport a lot of people. What I didn't expect was the, the just the, the, the depth of the depravity and the hatred that came out of this White House. And from day one, not day one, but from the first week, first two weeks of this administration, we've seen horrors. The Muslim ban that went into effect in late um, January of 2017. Um, the, the mass deportations across this country that take place every night and that are being ramped up today as we speak with expedited removals. The tearing apart of families. And of course, the horror of the separation of children from their parents at the border and the locking up of babies, babies, toddlers in cages. I mean, it is unbelievable what this administration has done and the, 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 the shame that is brought to our country. Other than that, I agree with him on everything. I'm kidding, joking. I, I wasn't sure how to react. Um, uh, well, thank you for bringing up the severity of the situation. I think it's really, I think you're doing, well, I just want to thank you for, um, for being so open and also for trying to make positive change in our community and trying to, trying to change some of these policies. Because as you said, this is like really inhumane and really frustrating to see because I think our country is built on immigrants and like my family wouldn't be here. We're immigrants from Europe. Like, I think that's crazy just to, to, to think about banning immigrants. Cause I think that, that like, as we learned, as I learned like back in second grade, like America's like a melting pot for all communities. And we're supposed to be like this country with the, where the roads are paved of gold and opportunity for everyone. And I think I agree with you that the Trump administration has not been doing even a, they just haven't been doing anything right on that, on that track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very sad because, like you say, I mean, our country is built on immigrants. Um, and, you know, when you think about it from an economic perspective, right, um, this world is, I mean, you, you know, Jackie's sitting in New York City, you're sitting in Beachwood, Ohio. Um, the world is, the, the, the world is small nowadays. Um, we're all in the same area, so to speak, you know, this wouldn't, what we're doing right now wouldn't have been thinkable 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and when you think about it, you could be sitting anywhere. I was on Zoom, I'm on Zoom meetings nearly every day with people from sitting overseas in whatever country. The world is global, the economy is global. We are all interrelated. And when you start closing off borders, um, you start closing off commerce, you close off economics, economic growth. So there's a, there's an economic reason for pushing immigration. And, and all of the um, studies, all of the credible studies that cover immigration have found that you know, if we fix the immigration system and we give people a decent pathway to citizenship, 
you know, um, that the, the, the economic impact on the country, uh, the, gross domestic the gross domestic product, for example, will increase by 1.7 to 2.2 or something trillion dollars over 20, 20 years. And we're talking about a huge economic impact. So it's not just, beyond everything else, it's stupid to cut ourselves off. Right? So that's, it's just none of the policy that comes out of this administration on anything, but what relates to immigration makes any sense. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. And I think also kind of going back to allowing diversity just in general, I think, like you said, Hannah, that this country is um, built on immigrants and immigration and this kind of brings, I don't know how familiar you are with Candace Owens. We talked about her once on the podcast, but I just, I feel like I can always relate, um, relate her to these topics. She said that um, the Republican Party, and I'm not saying that Trump um, represents all of the Republican Party, but he is the Republican um, candidate. She says that the Republican Party is the most diverse party that um, the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of a, contradicting shades of white people is that what she means just kidding I, I mean it's it's true i just think this is kind of a contradicting uh theory or claim in her in her part and just again to reiterate i don't agree with candace owens in any way but i just think this is an interesting idea that she thinks that they're the most diverse party well you know look you can run a tv you can run a uh, an infomercial in the summer and call it a republican convention and put on people of color and, you know, and pretend that that's who you are, which is what they do. And, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, how many, how many people in the Republican Party are, are people of color. I, I, would, I would argue that it's probably a very small minority because this is a party that's profoundly unfriendly to people of color. I mean, the president's whole reelect you know, he, he tried it after the Republican convention based on what happened to the murder of George Floyd, which led to, as you know, civil unrest all over the country. He tried to argue that, um, or he tried, he still tries to argue that whole Republican convention was, was based on, you know what, if you don't elect us, black people are gonna come and destroy the suburbs. That was the whole, those people with the guns and all that, this couple from Texas with the guns, and I think it was Texas. You know, and what was his, what was, what was, um, what was Trump's argument for the rest of August was that, you know, um, these radical um, looters are going to tear up your cities. What he's saying is black folks are going to come into the suburbs and steal the suburbs and destroy your lives in Section 8 housing. Extremely racist. I mean, he doesn't, he, he doesn't even pretend not to be racist. The regular Republican Party at least pretended they weren't racist. They would dog whistle for sure. This, this is, you know, calling fascists and Nazis in, in, in Charlottesville, calling them, you know, nice people, you know, fine people. You know, Candace um, ought to, she, she can talk talking points all she wants, but what she has to do is look at the facts. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's just, I can barely even understand really how, how, anybody but left alone i think specifically people of color could support him knowing his um reputation and just stance on pretty much anybody but him but anybody of color 
and he's just he's a racist. racist. He's a racist. He's the most racist president we've ever had. You, and you know. Oh, sorry. Continue. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask: Is that including like Andrew Jackson per se, who kicked out all the Native Americans on Trail of Tears? You know, it's a difficult question to answer um, because, yeah, of course, I mean, we've had racist presidents before, um, and I'm not—I would never, you know, defend Andrew Jackson and, and the racist policies, you know. We've had presidents who were slave owners. George Washington in particular was a slave owner. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Um, but, you know, when you take Donald Trump and you put him into the context of our times today and what we like to think of ourselves as much more enlightened than they were in, in, the, in the 18th century, um, this man, you know, his whole argument is to take America back to the to the 50s uh, to subjugate, to subjugate women, to treat women as, as objects, which he does, and he has, and he will, to treat you know, African-Americans as, as something less than full citizens in this country, to treat people of color as people who are less than full citizens in this country. And he not only says it, he does it. You know, with the deportations in this country, who's being deported? People of color. You know, it was interesting. Um, after Trump came to power in 2017, you know, there was all, ki all kinds of stories. And guys, if I'm talking too much, tell me and I'll shut up. No, you're really not. It's great what you're saying. Okay. So it, it, when Trump came to power in 2017, and there were all kinds of stories in the media about, you know, mass deportations, Latinos, you know, Latinos and being, being, being targeted and, and so on. And that was the prevailing, and it was obviously it was true. It was happening all over the country. And I got a phone call from a guy named Franklin Foyer, who writes for the Atlantic magazine. You ever hear of the Atlantic? So he writes for you. So he calls me up and he says, look, um, I wanna find a story. I wanna find a group of people who are not Latinos, but are being targeted by Trump. Right? You know, people who, an ethnic group that's not Latino, but it's being targeted by Trump. So without even thinking about it, I said, okay, well, then you need to go to Columbus, Ohio. Because in Columbus, Ohio, there's a whole group, a whole population of Mortanians and, West, and West, other West Africans down there, Mortanians, Senegalese, et cetera, et cetera. And they are being targeted. They are suffering from these deportations. And there's nobody to advocate for them because they're not, you know, they're not, um, they're not organized. They don't have media. They don't, they, you know, they're, these are just folks. And I said, what's going on in Columbus, Ohio, and these are my words, is an ethnic cleansing, which is a very serious allegation. That's, you know, ethnic cleansing is, is you know, getting rid of it. That's what they did in Bosnia when they got rid of um, the Serbs and, you know, the, the Serbs and the, and, and they, they emptied people out of these communities. So he goes down there and eventually writes this story, front page story in the Atlantic about how ICE, has gone, ICE Immigration and Customs Enforcement has gone rogue and are deporting, are focused on this community, black, you know, this black African community. He starts off the article by writing that he had called me in, in Cleveland and that I had told him this and he, I don't remember how, what words he used, but basically thought I was nuts. 
and and you know that I was I was overstating it. Mass, you know, I don't know what the word he used was, but that when he went down there, he was stunned to see what was going on. And so this administration is dangerous. It's an existential threat, not only to immigrants in this country, but to the country itself. That's why, you know, the election is so important. Yeah, I think that Trump is horrible for minorities. And what really frustrates me is how a lot of Jewish people are able to justify or think that they justify voting for Trump just because he claims to be bringing down the rates of anti-Semitism. But also, if you look at the study that was just published by the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, mm -hmm. anti-Semitic rates are actually climbing, not decreasing. Mm -hmm. And people will also try and justify them voting for Trump by his quote-unquote like good stance with Israel and having good political ties. But I think we all know that he's just trying to create you know, this like narrative with Israel for his own benefit and to like benefit us back. I don't, I don't I think, think that's actually. I think if he thought in his best interest to turn on Israel, he would turn on Israel on a dime. And I agree with you about Jewish support for Trump. The good news there is that it's not a lot. I think it's the Jewish support for, for the Democrats and, and is it, I think in the mid eighties, I think. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, it's not a lot. Um, but it's there, and I agree with you. There are people who will say, well, he's so good on Israel and all this kind of stuff. He's not good on Israel. He's actually very dangerous for Israel. And, um, you know, uh, to, to try to claim that, that Trump is a better choice than Joe Biden on the issue of Israel is lunacy. Joe Biden has a 47-year record on pro, being pro-Israel. Um, Joe, Joe Biden doesn't have a hateful bone in his body. Uh, when it comes to anti-Semitism, I would feel much more comfortable with with anybody in the White House, but in particular Joe Biden, anybody other than Trump in the White House. Yeah, I think it's it's super interesting because right now we have a president who just doesn't have an empathetic bone in his body, and he just really only cares about himself, and he's made that pretty clear over the past four years, and pretty much throughout his full career. I mean, I've kind of, I've disliked him even being like a young kid and seeing his name across the, the Henry Hudson Parkway. Um, but I think um, now we kind of have this other candidate coming in, um, Joe Biden, who I think really builds himself off of empathizing with others. He really, I think he shows that he, he really sees the layers of identity uh, through people and really sees everybody as equal, um, at least through my eyes. Um, you talked a little bit about Joe Biden. Do you want to talk a little bit uh, more about Joe Biden and also kind of your predictions for the upcoming election? So that's such a heavy topic right now. Well, are you going to air this before the election? Tomorrow, hopefully. I'm going to say if, if I'm wrong, you air it after. No, I don't care. Um, look, I think I think Joe Biden's going to win this election. Um, my hope is that he wins this election in a wave election, that it really is decisive and not a close one. I don't think it will be. I think I think Joe Biden's going to win this election, hands down. Um, we'll see by how much. My hope is that we'll know on Tuesday night. Um, and I guess that depends on the vote counts in Florida and, and, and probably in Pennsylvania, if we know. Um, so I think he is going to win. I think, you know, I was 
I was I, I dropped my ballot off yesterday at the County Board of Elections downtown. And um, I drove up, I drove up to drop my ballot off. And um, I was, was there early and I was expecting, you know, just be me. There was nobody there. Well, there's no, you know, I got through the drive part, you know, very quickly. But the lines to go in and vote in person were blocks long, blocks long. And this is Cuyahoga County. This is not a Republican stronghold. And a strong vote in Cuyahoga County in Ohio could deliver Biden the state of Ohio. Um, so those signs are very good signs. There's a mass, you know, voting numbers are up across the country. Um, and beyond all that, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a stat, I'm not a pollster, obviously. Um, so I rely like you do, I rely on the experts um, and the top polling averages, you know, the credible ones like uh, Nate Cohen, New York Times, or 538. Uh, they've got Biden with a, I think 538 has got him at 89% today. Yeah, it was 89 to 11, I checked this morning. Right, right. So, and, and that'll get closer as Tuesday comes closer, if, assuming there's no major shifts in the polls. And there have been no major shifts in the polls. Now, what that means is not that Biden is going to win. What that means is that Biden wins 89 times out of, the, of, of 100 of their simulations, or something like that, about 89% of the time he wins. So that means it's like kind of like if, if, you, if, if you know, if you, if, if you look out the window and it's a beautiful sunny day and you listen to the weather report and it says 78% uh, chance of rain, you're probably going to bring your umbrella with you just to be sure. If you look out the window and it says 14%, 12%, 10% chance of rain, probability is it's not going to rain, but it doesn't mean it won't rain. So it's the same thing here. You know, if, 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 if Trump wins, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know, 538 or these other, you know, uh, these other top pollsters got it wrong. It just means that he 10% hit. So, um, you know, it, it, everybody's got to get out and vote. Everybody's going to do their part. Um, but I, I'm pretty confident that, that Biden is going to win this election. I think the only way he doesn't win this election is if it's, if it's somehow illegally taken, which unfortunately could happen. But you know, I mean, I think we're in good shape, at least, at least poll, poll, poll wise tonight. I think, uh, no, go for it. I was just going to say, I, I have also been certainly keeping up with the polls, specifically 538. I think that one's really interesting and we'll be sure to also link that in the blurb. Um, although I, I mean, back in 2016, um, Clinton, Hillary Clinton had a very, she was very in the lead. I don't remember the exact statistics, but she was very much in the lead. But um, Trump ended up obviously taking that election. So I feel like there's still a part of me. And I don't know if there's a part of you too that believes that, you know, just because the numbers are, are um, shifted towards um, Biden, that doesn't mean he's definitely going to win. Of course, I think you're absolutely right. That's that's absolutely correct. There are a couple of differences, though. And again, I'm not an expert in polling, but there are a couple of important differences. And I think the most important difference is that number one, there aren't really any undecided voters to speak of this time around. Last time there were, and what happened last time was there's a late shift with the undecided voters. Um, number one. Number two. You don't have any main third party candidates who are siphoning off votes. There's no Jill Stein. 
there's no um, libertarian candidate. Uh, so that, that helps on the margins. Uh, and remember, Trump did not win that election by electorally by much. He won it by about 70,000 votes spread over Wisconsin and I believe it was Michigan and Pennsylvania. And they were razor thin margins. And it's because, you know, Detroit didn't turn out to vote. I mean, there are key constituencies that didn't turn out. Um, and Hillary Clinton was a profoundly, you know, as badly as I wanted her to win and as hard as I worked for her. She was not a popular candidate um, in, 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 you know, working class households, white American households, to be blunt. White, uh, you know, non-educated college voters, non-college educated voters, you know, people like Hannah, like in Youngstown, uh, Parma, those types. Of, um, that's a different story this year. And so again, you know, nothing's for sure, but the probability of that same error occurring twice in two elections back to back is pretty low. It's pretty low. So again, you don't want to be overconfident. I think it's actually a good thing that Jackie, that you're nervous about it, that Hannah, you're nervous about it, that I'm nervous about it. Because the reason, one of the reasons we lost last time around is complacency. Everybody thought Hillary had it in the bag. Everybody, everybody. And, um, you know, we didn't pay attention to those Trump crowds. And we didn't pay attention to um, a lot of people who were very angry. Um, and also, the other thing that's also profoundly different from four years ago is that we've got a four-year record of an incompetent um, leader who's led us into the throes of, to let us into a dystopian existence. I mean, you know, I mean, think about it. The fact that I had to ask Hannah if she actually goes to school, or you know, Jackie, you know, your 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 life in New York with 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 how profoundly it's changed, and how you just had to spend, you know, the springtime in Vermont and all that kind of stuff, and how we live in lockdown, still essentially live in lockdown. A lot of us, um, we're living in this dystopian existence now, and the virus in Ohio, a very important state, is surging. It's absolutely surging. We had more coronavirus reports today than we've had in the whole history of the pandemic. Today was the highest. Today was a record. That's what the governor announced. So um, I don't, and, and then you have Donald Trump running around the country telling us it's, we've, we've turned the corner and it's over with. Really? So I, things are profoundly different than they were four years ago. Yeah, you bring up some really interesting points that I've never actually thought about. Um, I also, so say Biden does win, do you think there's, or what is your prediction for how the transition of power is going to go down? Because uh, you did say that it could be, you know, there could be some illegal activity going on. But I certainly think, you know, Trump is kind of craves power. And I doubt he's going to give that up very easily. I think it depends on, on, on how, how the vote is, right? So if, if Biden wins decisively, um, which I hope he does, and I kind of think he will. Trump's backed into a corner. I don't think there's much Trump is going to be able to do. And the man, first and foremost, is about himself. He's, and he's a coward. The man is a coward. Um, this is a guy who complains, you know, about everything and takes responsibility for nothing. So what you'll hear is a lot of voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud, but of course there won't be any evidence of it because voter fraud in this country is almost you know, immeasurably small. 
you'll hear illegal aliens stole the election and you'll hear all kinds of bullshit, excuse me, if you will. Um, but I think nobody will pay attention to him anymore because he's, he's, he's defanged. Um, it kind of reminds me, there used to be a dictator in Nicaragua. <clears throat> I'm sorry, not Nicaragua. It was what, what country? Is it El Salvador? I don't even remember. Um, all right, I'm embarrassed because I don't remember what kind. I think it, I think it was, but well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, a guy named Manuel Noriega. And he was, he was, uh, he was bad news, this guy. And the U.S. finally went in and took him out. I think it was under Ronald Reagan. And this was a guy who was, everybody was afraid of him because he was a dictator. He had all, all kinds of power and he could kill this one and that one. They finally, when they finally brought him out, this was a little guy wearing pink underwear. And he was so diminished, he was a, a nothing. And I think that's what's gonna happen to Donald Trump. I think once the American people, once it's known, once a vote is in, he's gonna be diminished. He's gonna be personally humiliated. And you know, who knows? Will he claim fraud? Yeah, he's gonna try all that stuff. But that's why the vote has to be decisive because if it's decisive and there's no questions, it's over. Yeah, I think I remember talking about um, Nor Manuel Norhega. I think he was from Panama. Panama. Was that Panama. It? You're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. I couldn't. Yeah, I blanked. No, you're right. It was yeah. Panama. I think it's really interesting how you um, bring up voter fraud, because I, I did read an article the other day about how voter fraud is such a, a hyped up issue, but there's like, it's so minimal in the US that, it, that it's basically, it, it's just a, a, a ploy for, for attention and, and not really um, an actual issue. And Jackie and I kind of wanted to shift away from politics for our last question. We just, we wanted, um, we just wanted to know what advice you would give to aspiring activists and young people who are looking to make a change in our society. Well, uh, do what you're doing. I mean, I think having a podcast, first of all, is extremely important. It's insightful. Um, you know, people listen to podcasts. I listen to podcasts, you know, every day I listen to, you know, that's how I get my news. That's how I get my in-depth coverage because that's, you know, that's really, it's a, they're great places to go for in-depth coverage. Um, and you're doing a service by doing, doing a podcast. So I guess with that, stepping one back, stepping one step back, um, you've got to follow your passion. You know, you've got to get up every morning and whatever, whatever excites you to get up to do that day is what you got, is what you need to follow. Not, not, you know, not the feel that, you know, your parents, say, oh, you need to go into this, or you need to go into that. Whatever you, whatever, whatever gets you passionate, whatever excites you, whatever's fun, okay, that's, I guess, you know, that's what a young activist should follow because it should be fun. It should be fun to, to uh, make things better, to make the world better, you know, whether it's, whether, like, whatever the issue is, you know, climate, which is probably the most important issue of our time, social justice, um, you know, uh, gender rights, LGBTQ, uh, you name it. There's so many issues out there that demand attention and demand our attention. And the best thing I think about being an activist, particularly a young activist, is you don't know where it's going to lead you. You know, could lead you, could lead you to the White House. And um, I mean, look at Kamala Harris, right? This is a daughter of immigrants, 
Her mother was, was uh, from India, her father from Jamaica. Um, first, they, they met while they were students in schools, immigrant students. And their first generation daughter is, is gonna probably be one step away from the presidency. That's pretty amazing. Um, you look at some of the other activists, you know, so it could lead you anywhere. It could lead you into politics. It could lead you into um, a foundation. It could lead you, lead you into a group, you know, or it could just be something that you do in addition to, to whatever job you take uh, that keeps your heart full, you know, gives you purpose, gives you meaning. And, you know, the happiest people I know um, are the ones who are involved in, in social justice issues and in activism. Not because they win. Believe me, what I do, we lose a lot, probably more than we win. But I met, I've met some of the brightest people, some of the most engaging people, some of the most compassionate people, some of the people you know, who, who, who have the capacity to really love more than um, you know, uh, I've seen elsewhere. So follow your heart. That's what you want to do. And don't let anybody tell you any different. You can do, you personally can make change that's profound in this world that's for sure i love that advice every word of it is really inspiring and i think that's kind of what we're trying to do with this podcast is taking something that we love to do um podcasting and just trying to make a change and bridge that gap between um the two polarizing sides of this country and the many views of this world and I think you brought up some really amazing topics throughout this entire episode. I certainly learned a lot. Hannah, I'm sure you learned a lot too. And sure. yeah. yeah, it was really great having you. And I know you have a very big following on Twitter. We're now officially on Twitter. We only have one follower as of now. And that may or may not be my mom. <laughs> so it was wonderful having you once again. And yeah, so thank you. Well, thank yeah. you both. I really appreciate it really appreciated it. It was fun. Yeah, I'm glad. Thank you so much for your time. No. Thank you so much, David, for coming on again and being our guest. It was really, really great to have you. And I got a ton out of the interview. I feel, feel a lot more educated. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, I think we had a nice balance of, of, you know, your personal thoughts about the current Trump administration and also your experience as an immigration lawyer and how those two kind of correlate with each other and kind of how the Trump administration has been handling in immigration and diversity and merging different cultures and people from different countries. Yeah, totally. I think that this is a great opportunity, Jackie, for, for the two of us to just discuss our thoughts on the election heading into um, election week. I think it's really cool seeing such a younger, a younger um, crowd turning up to vote. I think that I've seen a ton of people on TikTok, like stressing the importance of voting. And I think all of these influencers who are doing so are really making a great impact on um, young people who are who are so easily influenced, and that's really great to see. I'm really, I'm really hoping that the um, Gen Zers and more of the Millennials will really um, help to push to push for Biden. And one thing that I'm thinking of heading into Election Week is how unfair the Electoral College is, and just how it minimizes so many people's votes, and that's really frustrating to me. And and I know that people are are always like. Oh, if we if we abolish the electoral college, then California and New York will be the only states that matter. 
um, because that's where most of the votes are coming from. And all I can say is, yeah, that is where most of the votes are coming from because that's where most of the people live. Like, does that not make sense to people? That's just what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I've we have we have at my school we have an election reflection assembly every once a week, and we kind of talk about the election coming up. And this week, one of the teachers at my school focused on the electoral colleges and pros and cons for it. Personally, I also see more cons for it. And also, my mom was telling me um, when it's also it, it when it was built. It was built so that it was it well it's. It's, it's unfair in many ways, but it, when it was built, um, slaves and African-Americans, people of color were only counted as three fifths of a person. So the way that, uh, that the electoral colleges ended up is that the people in the South ended up having more power and, or their vote counted more than some people in the North. And I think this is super interesting because we often don't realize the history of the electoral colleges and also, we often don't, I guess, um, we, don't, we don't really think about the history of our country as a whole and kind of the racist roots of our country, but there are many, many ways that the Electoral College is rigged and unfair. So even if Biden may win with the popular vote, which I personally do think will happen, unfortunately, he may not win the Electoral, college, uh, electoral Colleges, which will be the ultimate ultimate variable depend, um, declaring his win or not. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point you bring up about about how how racist our, our, our system is. And I think that if we're trying to move forwards as a society to be more inclusive and to be better, then all points in our government have to reflect that. And and that's just what I'm thinking of of going in going into this um, this week, I guess this next week. Um, that's kind of just all my personal thoughts. Jackie, do you have any other, um, any other things you would like to mention? I just wanted to say that even though we didn't have a phone banking uh, session this past week, it is so important to vote yourself, get people out there to vote. And I just can't stress that enough. We do, since we didn't do a phone banking session this week, we did post a couple of political discussions that we had that aren't actual episodes, but are still super interesting. I recommend going to look at those. And in case you missed the Instagram live, I know many of you did pop in there for a second um, or a couple or a good, a good amount of time. We please follow our Instagram so that we, you guys can get updates on when we're going live so that you guys can ask us live questions. And honestly, I hope that this election goes well, it's a smooth transition of power, which I personally don't have high hopes for, just um, that that's just part of me. And, but I, I do hope that, obviously I hope that Biden gets elected, but I just hope it's, it's a, a smooth running election and just make sure to vote, so important. Yeah, for sure, um, get, get, out, get out the vote, go, go talk to people who, who may be registered but aren't so motivated to vote. This is an awesome opportunity to do your civic duty. And with that, I just wanted to say that whatever happens, happens. And I'm just really hoping for a great outcome. That's it for this week's episode of Dive Right In with Jackie and Hannah. 
If you liked what you heard, you can find us on Instagram at DiveRightInPodcast, Jackie's personal Instagram at Jackie Spinell, and mine at Hannah.Plotkin. In addition, we just made a new Twitter at DiveRightIn2, the number two, um, where we will be posting more frequent updates and re- retweeting some of your guys' your guys's opinions as well. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. You can leave any additional feedback at DiveRightInPodcast at gmail.com. And you just dove right in. Bye. See you next week. Bye.